And you start realizing how much power you really have to co-create this reality for yourself. You do have this ability, and I have seen this at work in my life for 14 straight years. Welcome to the Have It All podcast. I'm Elon Ferdman, and along with my brother Guy, we're Satori Prime. We've spent the last 16 years on a quest of mastery, and not just in business, all areas. Mastery of our finances, our bodies, our relationships, and most importantly, our minds. You see, while most people fantasize about their dream life, we went out and created it. And you bet we learned a few things along the way. So if you want to gain new skills and tools that will help you achieve the life of your dreams, well, you've come to the right place. So get ready to have your mind expanded. Implement what you learn here today, and you'll start living the life of your dreams instead of just, well, dreaming about it. So are you ready to have it all? Let's go. I want to just start like talking about and discussing what really doesn't work with people. And I want to uncover for you and give you insights into the, the way that the mind functions and where it actually creates dysfunction for us, right? So I'm going to share some stories with you today, specifically one about my life and how this impacted me and how this created probably the biggest jump off point transformation of my entire life. And it's an event that happened to me when I was 19 years old. So we'll get into that in just a second. And in the back of all this, I want you to keep in mind that there are structures at play and it's sometimes difficult to see whether they're by design of the biology or by design of the way that we've been socially brought up. Sometimes those two are really scrambled and difficult to see which one's which, but there are specific designs in our humanity consistent with three different areas that I want you to keep in the back of your mind today while we discuss these things. There is a design to the way that we think, okay? There is design in the way that we communicate, and there's a design to the way that we take action. And mostly we don't take time to discuss and or look at what are the designs of thought, what are the designs of communication, and what are the designs of action, okay, as a human being. And every human being, by the way, has the same design when it comes to these three areas of life. Most people, when they have some kind of issue in health and finances and their relationships, they go and they start thinking about it and they start doing processing, okay? So I want to clue you in a little bit, at least into when I start inquiring about, about thought, what I've come to. And it's really important for me to let you know that everything I share with you guys here is not the truth, right? All truth, in my personal opinion, in my humble opinion, opinion, it's a relative truth. What's true for one society and is absolute to them in relativity to another part of the world in that society, it's not true at all. And this goes for your problems also. If you have some kind of problem that's ongoing in your life, anybody on the planet could choose that problem also. So if you have a um, problem with finances, for instance, I would assert that the reason you have a problem in the finances is a specific reason that you're actually creating and having conversations about that thing as if it's a problem where other people are in the same circumstance as you and they don't have a problem with that at all, which is an interesting phenomenon when you start looking at where do we create problems from And again, I'm just kind of like dripping these little ideas in there because what I want to offer you is that even though what I'm telling you is not the truth, the ways that I've gone about inquiring and studying and learning about these things is by taking away the meaning that I'm looking for a truth at all. And I consistently inquire in these different areas of life to see what I can see 
that's going to keep opening up new possibility and empowerment for me in these areas of life. So I've inquired greatly into my relationships. I've inquired greatly into my health and into my finances. And if you guys know me, for those of you guys who've been around me a long time, you'll know that, and this is not to brag, but like I, I genuinely believe I live an extraordinary life. I'm in a 33 years old. I'm in the best shape of my life. I have amazing relationships all around me. And our business is a multiple seven-figure business. So you could say that to some extent, I've handled a lot of these areas of life. And or you could say that like I'm not, I'm living my life in an above average type of way, which I consider to be extraordinary. Um, and again, a lot of you guys do know my life story and stuff like that. And this is not to brag, it's just to show you that because of these inquiries because I've done this inquiry in my life, because I've done this work, I'm telling you that it's a direct correlation to what I'm able to produce in my life. So I really want you to look at the work that we're doing here as your ability to produce the results that you really want in life. And mostly people have done no training on actually how to be productive in life. They see productive as doing busy work. If I work more, I must be being productive. And I would, I would actually challenge that thinking and say that I found very little correlation between working more and productivity. And a lot of you guys know this, you get into a job space and everybody's running around looking busy, but there's not a lot of productivity, right? And this type of work has you get to the core of why it is that you're not being productive. And oftentimes why you're not being productive does have to do with your relationships in some way, shape or form, which is why a lot of people go back and work on their relationships and get a communication. Okay. So let's just look at thought really quick, the design of thought. And then we'll talk about communication also and action will kind kind of like shave it off the side a little bit as we get through this. The design of thinking, as best as I can tell, only deals with the world of recall. So thinking is caught in the past. And what you're doing is you're consistently recalling the past over and over again and mulling it over. It's the type of stuff that keeps you up at night, right? You know, when you're trying to sleep and the voice in your head is just, and just keeps going and going. And all it's doing is just recalling the past. It's filled with remorse and regret, things you'd want to change, people you uh, think are wrong, judgments, good, bad, yes, no, I agree, I disagree, all this kind of stuff. And also, uh, I want to say that while you're listening to this, because this isn't the truth, you might hear that little voice going, I agree, I disagree, this is right, this is wrong. And if you do that with what I'm sharing here, you're going to ineffectively listen to what I'm saying because you're not going to be listening to what I'm saying. You're going to be listening to what it's saying about what I'm saying. And that's not what I'm saying. So if you want to walk out of here with the opinions of the past, with all the information you already have and experiences that you have, let that voice run rampant while I'm talking. And then you'll walk out of here with what you already know. So I just want you to pay attention to that voice while I'm speaking, because it's going to do that. It's going to agree. It's going to disagree. It's going to inquire. And and I want you to inquire, right? And look that if the things that I'm sharing with you, when you look at your own life, can you validate your own experience through the things that I'm sharing? And again, it's just because I've spent many, many years inquiring about these things, not the truth, but here's what I've gotten to so far. And it's giving me access to all these different worlds and paradigms that you might not have access to because you're literally probably have put yourself in some kind of prison about what you think is possible for you. And this is where people get stuck in their finances and their health and relationships for really long periods of time with things that aren't working for them. And today we want to like really get to the heart of and start looking at how do you dismantle these stories that seems so real to you so that you can start inventing, right? Inventing and being part of the creation process of new stories for yourself and then start taking actions consistent with your new stories. Most people don't have any clue how to do this, okay? And this is all the work we've been doing for like like 14 years. 
So our stories have gotten pretty good over, over time. And I want you to really inquire into your own stories, what's not working. So again, to the design of language, if designing, if the design of language is just to recall the past over and over and over again, and you're having a problem and that problem requires some new solution that's future-based, how could you use thinking to get to that problem, right? Um, Einstein has that famous quote. It's like the, if you do the same thing over and over again, you know, that's insanity. Um, it's, it's kind of like that. He's, and he had another quote that says something along the lines of, um, to solve the problems that we have today, you need a new mind or something like that. You, you need a different mind to create the solution. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, of course, because I don't remember the exact quote. And, and that's kind of what I'm getting at, is if you just keep going into there and using processing and here's what I think about it, da-da-da-da-da, you really don't get to anything. In addition, there seems to be this fallacy out there that thinking about something yields action, right? And again, why do we have distinct words like thinking, communication, and action? If thinking is a, being an action, why would we need two words for it? Then it would all just be thinking. So there's this misnomer that if I think enough, I'll know what the right action to take is, except what that usually yields is a mentality in a someday type of mentality. So I'll keep thinking about it and someday I'll take action on it. Now, the issue with this someday mentality is that often someday turns into some decades and then like 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years go by and people still don't take that action. And it's like they're waiting for enough information to come through and there's having the right thought and then like the perfect circumstance will come along. And then finally, when all that lines up and I win the lottery, like that's when I'll be happy or that's when I'll do this or start a business or be in a perfect relationship or all these things that we make excuses of to just relegate ourselves to exactly where we already are and we don't make any progress. So I really want you to consider that thinking is just thinking. And thinking likes to think about thinking, which is even stranger. You can think about your thoughts, which aren't even your thoughts at all. It's just this mechanism in the mind that keeps talking to you that you've mistaken for thinking. And now you're having thoughts about thinking, which just puts you into more of a feedback loop about thinking. And then you don't take any action and then nothing changes. So you could say that without action, really nothing changes. Now, the issues, the problems, whatever, you know, however you phrase it for yourself, I have a problem, I have an issue, I have this, I have that, that keeps coming back into your life over and over again, like repeat like you feel like you're on the hamster wheel with it, I'm going to assert that that area of life, you're making it wrong, okay? So if you have some health issue, I'm going to assert you're probably making that health issue wrong. If your relationship with your husband, wife, significant other, brother, sister, mother, father isn't working, I'm going to assert you're making that person wrong, right? So I'm going to assert that you're making that person wrong or that situation wrong, health wrong, your finances wrong, something is wrong in this picture. Now, the function of making something wrong or the design of what happens when you make something wrong is that it's like a boomerang. It keeps coming back around over and over again, okay? And this is a really good thing to write down or note for yourself. If you keep having the experience of something coming around over and over again, ask yourself, am I making this thing wrong? And I imagine you will find that you are. You have some story about it, whether it's about yourself or somebody else or a situation that you're making that wrong. And the function of that, unfortunately, is you creating a, a feedback loop of it coming around over and over again. Okay? So it's a really, really good thing to note. If that's happening for you, what I'm going to offer is, is that what's missing, and we're going to do some deep work on this in just a minute, but what's missing is getting in communication. That's it. That's all that's missing. 
And as far as I can tell, the design of communication has two properties. So we're thinking is just a recall from the past, right? I'm going to just keep reiterating this stuff because I want to get it in. We're thinking is just a recall from the past. When things aren't working, it's because we're making them wrong. And then we keep making them wrong. And, and the other thing I just said about making it wrong, by the way, is that you're making wrong your problem, right? So if you're making that problem wrong, like if Neen has an issue with her finances and then somebody else is in the same situation as Neen, while Neen might be focusing on that thing, thinking about it and making it wrong, for a different person out there who might be in the same financial situation as them, they might not be thinking about it. They might not be making it wrong at all. They have no issues with that area of life, right? So our problems are relevant only to us. And that all happens in this world of thinking and making it wrong. Now, once you learn that you make something wrong, the way out of the trap is to get in communication. Now, most people think that talking is being in communication, which is a really different thing than what I'm talking about here. And we're going to talk about this in great detail, but I want to offer you that the properties of communication has two properties. One is to make things disappear. And the other one is to actually is to generate them into reality. Communication is a super, super powerful tool. And most humans don't really think about the fact. Most people don't take into consideration the power of word. Okay. When I say word is communication, communication is word and that it actually has generative properties. I say this all the time. I'm not a religious person in, in, in the traditional sense. And the first words in the Bible are in God spoke, right? As if the world came into being when God spoke. And I actually always say that I feel like the word word and the word world are really closely related as you know, one, I think it's one letter difference, right? From, from doing my lettering right here, word and world, it's an L difference between the two. Why are those words so closely related to one another in the English language? It's because you're constantly generating with your word worlds. So when you start speaking about something, right, like it's an issue, you're literally creating that issue. It's coming out of you and you're, you're self-generating that. In the same token, you can get in communication with people in the areas of life that are not working. You'll notice that where things are not working, you're not in communication about it. You tend to hide those things. So if like you had some uh, argument with your husband and now you're making him wrong, there's all this stuff you're doing in your mind about making him wrong. And what you're probably not doing is getting in communication with him and vice versa. He's probably doing that with you, right? And because of that, you don't get in communication with one another. That thing just lingers there and it doesn't disappear. The moment you get in communication, that thing would disappear. There would be space for something new. And now you can get in communication about what you want to create in that space. And we're going to talk about how to do that today. So here's what I want to talk to you guys about. The human brain is an interesting, has an interesting phenomenon. And what ends up happening to all humans, it seems, is that at some age, fairly young, we experience a trauma event. Uh, most people remember trauma events from school like raising their hand really enthusiastically, thinking they know an answer to something, raising their hand, saying the wrong answer and having the classroom laugh at them, or like some something that happens that's very embarrassing or that threatens your survival in some way or your safety. All different kinds of things happen to people. And this becomes like a significant trauma event in our life. And anytime there's a trauma event in our life, our brain automatically goes to work on survival because that's what the brain is built for. It's just, it's a survival tool. So it starts thinking about ways to survive it. And the brain comes up with an interpretation. In that moment, 
to help you survive the moment. Now, this trauma event is so strong that it starts creating and wiring a specific reality into your physical reality. And the next thing the brain does is it needs to be sure of that reality. So it starts finding evidence for it in your life. Okay. So, um, you know, where before you might've been like really super carefree and like giving answers to everything. So this trauma event happens, you create some version of like, I'm dumb because it's usually very simple language. Like I'm stupid. I'm dumb. No one likes me. Uh, um, you know, like it's not going to be like, I'm unworthy and people don't respect me. Like a little kid doesn't think that way. So it starts with a really simple idea. And then what ends up happening, you just start going through school. And every time there's a little bit of a failure, it reinvigorates the idea of I'm dumb. And then that just kind of carries on. And there's usually about two or three of these like mega trauma events that happen throughout our, like some in like our teenage years, a little bit later in adolescence. And this is kind of how it goes. And every time there's a trauma event, it's a lot like this. It's like putting on a pair of sunglasses, right? And if you've ever, you know, I'm sure you've all put on a pair of sunglasses. I was going to say if you've ever, but I imagine you have. If you put on a pair of sunglasses like these, you know that when you first put them on, it's really obvious that the shade in the room has changed, right? But if I keep these sunglasses on for just a few minutes, my brain will take this reality and just start mapping it onto the brain and it will start becoming the way things are. That's why oftentimes it starts to get in dark and you're like, oh yeah, I got these on. And then you take it off and the whole world looks different. And these, these communication patterns that I'm talking about, these trauma events are a lot the same way. It's not what actually happened, even though like you might remember it that way. It, it might be exactly what happened, but we, again, there's study after study will show you that memories are far from signif- like significant recalls of what actually happens in reality. It's our, really our interpretation or somebody else's story that they told us about what happened at that time that we take as our own. And it's just like that. It's just this this shade that gets put over our eyes. But given enough time, it stops looking at that shade and just becomes the way that it is. So the exercise I'm going to take you through today is to give you access to taking off the glasses because you can't step into a different world if the world you're if you're so sure that the world is some way and you're some way in that world and people are a certain way in that world. And by the way, all this is tied into your identity. And there is no way, I'm telling you right now, as far as I can tell, there is no way to overcome the identity. What you can do, though, is you can put consciousness onto things so that you can see them happening. And because you see them happening, what this gives you access to is a choice that you're not aware of. And when you start choosing things differently, you will find that you start taking different actions and then the results change. Generally speaking, people are so on autopilot that something happens and they don't choose what's actually happening, even though that's what they think they're doing. They just go into autopilot mode. They do perform the same function. It's like a robot that's like the software program runs. You run the software program. You do that thing. You say that thing. You make that thing happen. And then the result happens the same way. And you guys know this because if you've been married for a while or you've been at the job, you know, like I go say this to Bill. Bill says this. I react. Boom. He reacts. Boom. And then like, you know, this whole thing, like, unravels and you kind of know your own patterns. You know the genealogy of how this stuff starts, you know all of it, even if at the end of it, you're like, it's their fault. I didn't do that, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, if the same thing keeps coming into your life over and over again, you might want to consider that the reason the same thing comes into your life over and over again is because you're the common denominator in everything that's happening. And I want to give you access to this, not only to take the glasses off, but to put you in the driver's seat of your life so that you see that you're responsible for what's actually happening. And that's the good news because if you're responsible for what's happening, it means you can take actions consistent with altering the way that things are going to occur for you 
and that means you're going to take different actions, and that means you're going to get different results, and that's really what we're looking for. So to go back to these trauma events, this happens so seamlessly in the brain that we can't actually tell the difference between what actually happened during the event and that which we create about what happened during the event. So we have some interpretation about what happened during that event. And there is a complete collapse of these two worlds immediately. And we literally can't see the difference between our interpretation and reality. And the worst part of it is that we don't live reality. We live the interpretation. So the story becomes more real than what actually happened in reality. I want to tell you a super quick story. And then I'm going to tell you my story also. I worked with a woman one time who could not get into a proper relationship with a man. Every time she would get into one and got close, something would sabotage and she couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. And I think by the time I met her, she was about 42 years old. And this was like a consistent pattern, like endless, endlessly consistent pattern. So when we started inquiring about it, we usually start with like the latest quote unquote failure in her relationships. And then, you know, they start describing the situation. So she described it to me the way that it felt and what happened and all this kind of stuff. And then what we do is we say, okay, well, can you remember a time that happened before that? And it was like, all right, well, five years ago, blah, 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 blah. Okay, great. Because it always feels the same. And then we go, well, can you remember a time before that? And can you remember a time before that? And can you remember a time when you were a kid? And this went on for a while. And we finally get to this story. I think she was either five or six years old. And I think her father was watching TV. He was sitting like in a lazy boy chair. And she just wanted to show her father love. So she like runs up to her dad and she uh, like jumps on him and like gives him this hug. And the father responds by pushing her like pushing her away. And that's what she remembers. She remembers her father pushing her away and her world. It was her father rejecting her. So we did some work on this. We uncovered the story and here's the thing, right? Like, so in her world, what that meant is my dad rejected me like, or I'm unloved some version of that. Right. That's what she created as this like figment of her imagination kind of interpretation. In reality, what happened is her father pushed her really. That's what happened. Right. Like in actual reality, Dad pushed her. So she went and had a conversation with her father because she's now been making her dad wrong for 36 years about the event where he pushed her. Okay. So thinking about it, trying to figure out how to get over it, trying to figure out why her relationships aren't working, making him wrong, right? All the things that we talked about. And I said, you got to go get in communication with your dad and you got to get this cleaned up so it can disappear. So she goes to talk with her father And she tells him, hey, dad, blah, blah, blah. Do you remember when this happened? And of course, he doesn't remember the event. Of course, they never remember the event, by the way. Only you remember the event. Um, And she goes through this whole thing. And she tells him, well, you know, that happened. And it's had this kind of impact on me. And I see that what really happened is like you were pushing me. And he goes, well, I have one better for you. He goes, "If, if I did do that, which I could see myself doing that, I don't remember doing it. He says, but let me tell you a little bit story about myself. And he ends up telling her that when he was young, about her age, his father used to abuse him. Uh, I don't remember if it was physical or sexual abuse, but he used to abuse him. And in his world, he had decided when he became a father that he would never be that kind of father and that he would always protect his children. And in that moment, when he pushed her away, that was an automated response of him protecting his child because he never wanted to be a father like his father. And he was afraid that by their, his kids getting close to something like that could ever happen. So in his world, he was protecting his daughter. In her world, his daddy doesn't love me, right? And there's an impact from that. So they get that cleaned up. And once they get in communication about it, disappears, I believe by the end of the program, she had met the man she was going to marry, right? It's like, it's like that quick because suddenly there's space for something. 
that wasn't there before. Something becomes possible that wasn't there before. Also, something about relationships. I don't remember exactly what, and I don't want to get into all the logistics, but I remember when we got down to the original trauma moment, she was like three or four years old. She was eating jelly bellies at like some dinner with her parents. And she had a little baby brother who was like one, one and a half years old, like kind of uh, leaning back in the crib. And she was enjoying her jelly bellies and she thought her brother would need one too. And oh, you know what? With her, she was depressed, like really depressed. And this had gone on for a really long period of time. And what ended up happening in that moment is she took a jelly belly and she wanted her little brother to enjoy it also. And she put it in his mouth and the child started choking. And they obviously like pushed her out of the way and like pulled this thing out of the kid. And the kid is fine. But in that traumatic moment, she created like, I'm no good or I'm bad, right? Or some variation of that. And then, you know, 30, 40 years later, what you get is somebody who's developed 30, 40 years of evidence of I'm bad. What does that look like when you're an adult, especially when you can't remember that you put the sunglasses on? When all in reality happened is she put a jelly belly in her brother's mouth, right? So I'm going to tell you guys a story. And this is a super personal story for me. Um, I, I want you to get the power of this because for a lot of you guys, you know who I am right now. You know what I've become or who I am, blah, blah, blah. You see the things that my brother and I achieve and, you know, you, you, maybe you look up to us, whatever. And I remember doing stuff like that too. I think it's actually really important to take people off pedestals and just see the humanity that we all are. We're all literally, all of us are literally dealing with being human. And there's, again, a design to being human and things that we all are innately dealing with. So it doesn't matter what you see that we've created, we've invented, what we're doing, what we can create results, or anybody else for that matter, know that no matter how quote-unquote successful somebody is, they're still dealing with the same shit as you. doesn't matter if they have a billion dollars in the bank, maybe their problems are different, but they're still focusing on something that's creating some kind of issue in their life, and you could relate to that problem, I promise you. So here's my story. When I was younger... You see, like for me too, I don't actually remember the exact trauma event that set this off, but I do remember what catalyzed it from about the age of 12 to about the age of 19, I dealt with some pretty heavy depression. Okay. And not like light depression, like heavy depression. So I was really depressed. It showed up like anger all the time. And I eventually led me to uh, suicide or like extremely suicidal thoughts and like actually like attempting to end my life a few times. The reason I didn't actually ever go through with suicide attempts is I was actually in, raised in a super loving family, never felt like you know I wasn't wanted or anything like that. However, something along the way had happened to me. I created some interpretation of life, and I consistently thought about ending my life. Now, I didn't go through with it because I really did love my family, and I really knew that they loved me, and I was very much aware of the selfish act it would be to end my life, even though that was like a top priority for me. So my life was based around thinking about ways that my life could end, that I wouldn't be the one responsible for ending it because that's really what I wanted. So I would have awful thoughts in the morning about like getting hit by a bus or uh, like falling off of something, whatever. And I, and I had hoped that some incident would happen that would end my life so that it would just be like, oh, this tragic event happened and I could leave this plane of reality. And that's the world that I lived in for a long period of time. So I'm not saying this to depress you, but I just want you to understand the gravity of what I was living with, right? And again, I don't remember the exact moment where these kind of things started, but I do remember where it like exploded into being something. So I'm approximately 13 years old. At the time, I was living in northern New Jersey uh, in a town called Fairlawn. It's about 15 minutes outside New York City, so just south of Manhattan. And um, we lived in this house, and I actually shared a backyard 
with my best friend. His name is Jake. And Jake's father's name is Kenny. And outside of my own father, Kenny was probably the most influential adult figure in my life. Kenny was my soccer coach. He drove us to school every day. Obviously, I would spend a lot of time at my best friend's house, stuff like that. And Kenny was this prominent adult figure in my life, someone I really looked up to. When Kenny turned 40, um, Kenny uh, started battling with cancer. I don't remember exactly what kind of cancer, but I remember it was, it was fairly aggressive. And I, I don't really think I understood the concept of cancer at the time or, or really anything about life and death like in a true meaningful way at that time. And what I remember is that there was a party for him and the party must have been because he had beaten the cancer. And what I specifically remember is the band in the backyard um, and then playing like, you know, rock music because Kenny was this amazing person who knew everything about rock music. Uh, There was a radio show. I remember where they used to say like, name that tune and they would play like one to four notes. And for like the first note, he would always know exactly what song it was, which always was amazing to hear. Anyway. So Kenny's this incredible guy and he ends up beating cancer. A few months later, out of all places, this might make you laugh, in a AOL, America Online chat room, if you guys are not from the States, maybe you don't know what, what AOL is, but AOL was like what started the internet in America. And there used to be these chat rooms. And me and a bunch of my friends went into a chat room and somehow this conversation got out of control. And I said something about my friend Jake that wasn't nice in his interpretation. And he stopped talking to me. And my best friend just like fell off the map and we just didn't communicate anymore for like months. Now in my family, we would do a lot of physical labor. So I grew up in kind of like an immigrant, poorish type family. And I mean, we just did a lot of stuff around the house. Like we would clean up the yard, stuff like that. So that was pretty regular for my weekends just to do a lot of physical labor. And I remember uh, I was in the front yard, like watering bushes or the grass or something. And out of the corner of my eye, I see Jake walking down my street and with him is this old man, this like old hunched over man. And I remember like double taking like this because I suddenly had recognized that the old man that he's walking with was his father. And looking back at it now, what must've happened is his father relapsed, the cancer relapsed and it must've been extremely aggressive. And instead of looking like a very healthy 40 year old man, Kenny looked like he was in his late 60s, 70s. He was like hunched over and you know how, with the hair, how it looks and his skin was yellow um, I've been told that's from liver failure and stuff like that. And he just didn't look good. And they walked by and I remember kind of like awkwardly saying hello to them and just feeling a lot of shame about the whole situation. And we still don't talk right during this whole situation. So shortly thereafter, Kenny dies, passes away. I end up finding out from my brother the day after the funeral. Well, I missed the funeral and I found out like you know, basically after the funeral had happened that this happened and at his house, there was everyone coming over to like, you know, give him, um, console him and and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure he was in shambles. And my parents told me to go over there and say something and like all the embarrassment of it comes up. And of course I go over there. We kind of had this moment of embrace. And I just remember feeling like shit about the whole situation. Now, what I remember specifically about that moment is whatever relationship I had with God at that point in time, that's gone. Because what I remember clearly thinking and saying over and over to myself at that time is that bad things happen to good people. Like legitimately, clearly, very clearly remember starting to think that 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 is the way that the world is. And if your interpretation of the world, right, the Paris time glasses that you put on is bad things happen to good people and you think you're a good person, what starts happening to you, right? Bad things. 
So it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, everything that happened in my life thereafter that didn't go the way that I thought that it should was now evidence for that I'm a bad person. I don't belong here. And that like, I, I could tell you like a few years down the road, I, I would literally have thoughts like I'm God's one a child. I'm the black sheep of the earth. I'm here as like this plaything, And if that's what my job is on this planet, I am not interested in being here at all. And that's what led me down this path. Uh, I remember blaming things on my depression and then not wanting to be caught in the lie. And then it didn't occur to me like a lie, but it's like, I didn't want to be caught in that. My story, like the stories that I was making up stuff, like something bad happened at school or I didn't get a grade and my parents were yelling at me. I'd say things like I'm already depressed. Like you're making it worse. Um, and then of course, like to not be found out, I would have to just act more depressed. And it's like, you just keep getting into that habit. It, it just creates the whole world of this thing. And this is what we all do. Right. And none of us want to get found out. So like when we're a lot of people, right. Use extravagant language and they lie a lot and they try to bolster their ego and stuff like that and all these different things. And now something you should know about humans is it's really important for us to look good. So if we get caught in a lie, that doesn't look very good. So in order to not get caught, we start living the lie as if it's the truth because heaven forbid we get caught and that looks bad. And that was kind of my world. So if you fast forward, you know, six, seven years, it's just becoming very clear, like how this whole world gets formed. And this happens to a lot of people. And I've worked with a lot of people who are depressed and it's kind of the same thing for everybody. It's like the ultimate victim mentality, right? And you use it to blame everything and everyone in every situation for what you're, what you're going through. And it's really nasty to be inside of, and it's very difficult to get out of. So fast forward a few years, I go to college and I'm a sophomore at school and I'll, I'll make the story a little bit shorter for the essence of time, but I, an event happens and my symptoms start becoming physical in such a way that it scares me. And up until that point, my parents probably became aware of the problem around 16 or 17 and they started offering me to go to psychologists. But in my worldview, everybody else looked happy. I was the miserable one. Like everybody else had figured something out that I didn't understand. And I felt dumb because of it. So I was like, wait, I don't want somebody's help to help to tell me what it is. I'm like, am I really that stupid that I can't figure this out on my own? So I would always evade and like not want to get any kind of help from anybody. But when these physical ailments start happening, I, I could clearly attribute what was happening in my body to the way that I was feeling. And that scared me for the first time. So I had found out about this class from my mom about a year before from one of her friends and I decided that I was going to go and take this class. And they did a similar exercise with me that I'm doing with you guys here. And they kind of started telling me about this, like this, what happened and the story. And for me, there wasn't like another reality. Like in my reality, everything was shit, right? So they start telling the story. And it was about the second day of the course. And I had this 15-minute walk back to uh, the subway. I was living in Boston at the time. So I had this like 15-minute walk back to the subway or underground, whatever you call it. And on that walk back, like I remember the whole day, the story about Kenny was just right there for me. Like I, it was so clear for me. And I started thinking to myself, could it be that I made this whole thing up? Because in reality, this is what I realized while, during this walk. In reality, here's what happened. Kenny died, right? My interpretation, bad things happen to good people, right? And all the laundry list of things that came after that. So before this work, if you would have come up to me and told me that things in this reality were not this way, I would have laughed. I'd probably told you to go fuck yourself. And I would have said, hey, I got like a, a volume of evidence on this. Don't tell me it's not the way things are. 
And this is what I say. I see everybody doing. We've collected evidence to make our story true. That doesn't make your story true, though. It's still a story. So the truth is that Kenny died. And I was walking down the stairs of the subway. And this became so clear to me that it created instant transformation. I literally felt like a bolt of lightning hit me. Like I can tell you what it looked like, what it smelled in that moment, everything. It was like this very clear and distinct moment. And I remember my right foot coming off the second stair from the top. And by the time my right foot hit the third step, I was a completely different human being. Like, I don't think I, I don't remember smiling during those years. I really don't actually remember seeing blue sky or sun during those years. I don't remember seeing trees very much. And I got on that subway and I was literally like this. I was, I was just shaking because it had become so clear to me that I made this whole thing up and that I had a choice to let the story go. And I did in that exact moment. That's exactly what happened to me. And I was just vibrating. And it felt like 50 pounds fell off me, not even off me. I felt like I had a, a noose around my neck with a chain and there was a boulder. And I was carrying around this boulder about this interpretation that I had. And in that moment, I was just like, I'm going to give that up. And it all just fell behind me. Now, when that fell away, that created space for something because inside that story, something is not possible about who I am, who people are, who I am in this world or anything else like that. But the moment that interpretation is gone, it's like there is just space, right? So if you're trying to create right now something in your life and there's an issue, there's, a, there's this interpretation, there's this problem, trying to put something else in there is like trying to put two things in the same space. Two things can't occupy the same space at the same time. When you do exercises like this, what it does is it, it disappears that interpretation and then you have room to create a new story of your choosing now that goes in that place that can empower you. And there's a whole world, a whole paradigm that's created because of interpretations like these. And this is what the human race is doing right now, unconsciously for the most part, for people who have not done work like this is you just are littered with stories that happened to you, not because you chose them because circumstances happened and a, tra and a traumatized kid made decisions about the way things are. And for the last who knows how many decades, you've been looking for evidence to make those stories true and you live them as if they are and they run the show. And then you wonder why you can't get your finances handled or why you can't get the relationship of your dreams or why your business is not taking off or why, 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 why. And then you keep dealing with the non-reality, which gives you no power and you keep trying to invent on top of it. So trying to invent on top of this stuff, like I want you to imagine like if I had a, a tinfoil that holds pies in there, like a pie, like I was going to bake a pie. And inside of the tinfoil, there's just shit. And this is the shit right here. And then I try to like come, come around and start doing all this positive thinking stuff and chanting and all this kind of stuff. And by the way, there's, there's reasons that does, that stuff does work. But what gets in the way of it really working for you is that like, it, that's like whipped cream, right? All that stuff is whipped cream. And it's, it's really effective when you know how to use it. But positive thinking is like putting whipped cream on a shit pie. If the shit is still there, I don't care how much whipped cream you put on top of shit. It still tastes like shit. So the work that we're looking at here is about how to release and choose to get rid of that stuff so that when you do the other work, you know, like all the meditation, the changing and stuff like that, it starts becoming effective and you start realizing how much power you really have to co-create this reality for yourself. And I say co-create because 
you know, whatever eternal source you believe in, whether it's energy, God, Krishna, Jesus, I don't, you know, I don't care what your belief system is. I believe you're in partnership with that energy. So you're like, you're, you do have this ability. And I have seen this outwork in my life for 14 straight years, but it takes and requires doing a process like this so that you actually get that space back. And then you can use communication, like we said, to both disappear and create. So in that moment, I chose something that had this disappear. And then I chose a new future for myself that I started auto-generating. So up until then, it was like I had this book, right, with all this kind of stuff written in it. And basically what it gave me was, this is, this is what I saw afterwards, just a blank, empty space. And, it, and I just started being able to write. And most people believe that who we are in the present moment is a function of our past, right? You'll tell me things like the books I've read, the religion um, I was part of or raised in, the, what my parents told me, what my friends were, the books I read. I'm sorry, the TV shows I watched, like all that stuff from the past has given me who I am in the present moment. When the actual truth is who we are or a way of looking at it, not the truth, the way of looking at it is who we are in the present moment is a function of our future. And, and that really is what's at play in my assertion, because if you look at when you go on vacation, for instance, right, you buy a ticket to go on vacation or you buy a ticket to come to our event or you buy a ticket for anything. You just say yes to something. You're immediately called to action by that. Yes. So for instance, like if I'm going to go on vacation to Hawaii or something like that, right? Let's say that vacation is three months from now. The moment I say yes to that vacation, I'm called into that future. I'm going to start doing things like eating healthy, probably start losing some weight, maybe go, go clothes shopping. Like there's all these actions I'm going to con- take consistent with the future that's coming. Okay. And that's really what's at play. We're actually constantly interacting with the future that we're expecting, not so much with our past. But the reason it looks like our past is constantly in the way because things like this happen like what I'm talking to you about here and this interpretation that actually happened decades ago, right? What you do is you misfile it and you put it into your future. And then from your present moment, you start living into it over and over again. The hamster wheel effect that so many people deal with, like still have that same issue over and over again. It's the mind puts it there. And then you start living into that future over and over again. And you're constantly taking actions consistent with that expectation the moment you choose and let that disappear or get in communication with that person and let that disappear, whatever it is, now there's nothing sitting out there in your future anymore. That interpretation is gone. And now you get to use communication to auto-generate what goes into the future. And you actually choose and say, yep, that's who I want to be. Yep, that's what I'm creating myself to be. And you'll find that the same thing happens, that who you are in the present moment is immediately impacted by that future that you're creating. And that phenomenon can work over and over again. And the more areas of life that you're working to willing to do this on, the more power you'll start having in terms of your belief in creation, right? And what ends up happening is that action always moves things. Action creates reaction, right? So the more you take actions consistent with the new future, you'll find, whoa, I took that action. Whoa, I got a completely different result than I'm used to. The more you get that kind of result, the more you believe in this process, the more you believe in this process, the more actions you take, the more actions you take, the more results you get, the more results you get, the more belief you have. And it becomes this cyclical thing where you start finding out how powerful you actually are, right? And this is the kind of work that we do with people when we coach them. This is the kind of work we're going to do at our live event. This is the kind of work that literally pulled my ass out of depression, took me out of a fixed mindset, made me a person who can lead people 
who can articulate and communicate well, who people follow, right? Like all these different things that you guys see today is a function literally of this story disappearing and me speaking into a future who I was going to become. And who I am today is the person that keeps speaking that future into existence. And that's why like sometimes you'll watch Elon and I do things and you're like, how the hell did they do that now? It's just this process over and over again. That's all we do. Consistently looking at what are we making wrong? How do we get a communication about that? How do we disappear? And now what do we say to create a new future for ourselves? Okay. So, you know, like look at ways to enhance your life by just developing yourself. And I promise you really, when you start changing the way that you look at things, the things you look at will actually change. When I woke up that next day after that subway ride, I walked outside, it's like greens, I'd never seen greener, sky was blue. I was just literally altered the landscape in which I walked around and it absolutely shocked me. And that's possible for every single human on the planet. And I know that because it's because it happened to me and I've seen it happen to thousands of people since then. So this stuff works. All right, guys, I love you. We'll talk soon. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for everything. So that's it, my friends. That's today's episode. I just want to thank you for being part of our Have It All family. And truly, truly, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help or give back in any way possible, the best way would be to share this or any other episode that you loved with your family, friends, or colleagues. And if you'd be so great as to just leave us a rating and a comment on either iTunes or Stitcher, whichever you use, that helps us tremendously. It only takes about two to three minutes of your time and would mean the world to us. Finally, I want to let you know that if you want to get even more exclusive content from Guy and I, just head over to satoriprime.com and make sure you join our mailing list. Now, I know what you might be thinking, God, not another mailing list, but I promise you, you'll only get an email or two from us per week and it will always have amazing videos and articles that I'm sure you're going to love, promise. So until next time, you can join our ongoing conversation at the Have It All Facebook group where you can let us know how we're doing and what we can do to improve. Love you all, and we'll see you on the next Have It All podcast. Have an amazing, amazing day, my friends.